Good morning. It's good to be here today. Loving seeing all the kiddos across the front of our services. And praise God for COVID. 24 babies. Praise God. God works all things out for good, doesn't he? Amen. Amen. And I love seeing the children and the journey even for our own kids. I love Grace Community Church. Our children were raised here and now are adults. And boy, the the family here, Grace is our family. And you've invested even in our kids. And we were always grateful for the teaching, instruction, love that they received uh, here in their formative years. And I just heard from Hannah and Johnny, uh, we're having a gender reveal uh, next um, Sunday. That's exciting, and uh, so we're looking forward to that. It's all new for us. I have no idea the way it's going to go, but I know it's going to be male or female. Amen. <laughs> I know that for sure, and we're praising God for that, and uh, it's a good week in our house, too. Uh, those of you who enjoy hunting, I was able to harvest a nine-point buck uh, this week. That's fun. Uh, and it's good eating, by the way. If you're going to head venison, you are missing out. So um, I'm excited about today's message. Very excited as we plow through the book of uh, Psalms and look at the truths. P.S., the words of wisdom. The author today is saying this to us, that life without God is useless. Amen? Amen. All right, go home. That's all you need. There it is. <laughs> like, if you just get that, that's all you need. <laughs> Seriously, if we get that one down, Jesus' name, amen, go home. But it is, but yet too many of our days can look as though that's not the truth. We need a relationship with Jesus. We need him. He's not to be our on-demand God that we go to him, hey, I'm going to watch a movie tonight, God, can I have you? He's not an ATM. We should want him by our side. We should desire to fellowship with him every moment in the good, in the hard in the low, in the high, in the wide, in the deep. Yet, this author is reminding us that if we don't, it's vain, it's futile to live life without God. Jesus reminded us that in his prayer, uh, his priestly prayer and his prayer to us. He said, teach us to pray. He said, that, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But far too often, we pray just the opposite and say, my will be done My kingdom come. Yet the author in Psalm 127 is reminding us that life without God is utterly useless. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to read Psalm 127 out loud together. And I'm going to ask you to stand here in our auditorium. Those of you at home, stand up too. And those in the South Auditorium, let's read this out loud together. Psalm 127. Would you read it with me? Together, ready, read. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. You may have a seat. It's obvious that Solomon knows a little bit about home, family, and parenting. And he reminds us right away that we should build your home on the right foundation. For 10 years of my life, I was a home builder. I built homes and 
prior to coming and being called to ministry, that's what I did. I had a crew of guys and we would build homes. I built homes in Maryland and many, many homes down in Warsaw, Indiana while I was a seminary student. But it was critical and crucial when we would pour the footings and the concrete would come in that we had enough rebar that would hold the weight and the concrete's depth was deep enough so that it would hold the foundation of the home and the joists and, 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 and the floor and the walls. And, and if we didn't pour a foundation correctly and it began to give way, the whole house would begin to crack. And if you've ever lived in a home that's been on water and it's been there a long time, you'll know that the foundations continue to move and you'll see the, the, the drywall begin to shift and you'll see cracks in the wall because the foundation wasn't built firmly. Now they have helicords that go down and concrete is poured and they go deeper so that the house doesn't settle. And Solomon is reminding us that a house that's built on the foundation of God will stand strong in the battles and the wars that come our way. The author of this is, is Solomon. But before we dig in, it's always important to remember the context or the setting for this psalm and the author. Let's go there. Psalm 127. If you look at your Bible, you'll see at the heading at the top, it says a song or psalm of ascent. A-S-C-E-N-T. What that means is this, these psalms were sung by the worshipers and people as they made their yearly pilgrimage to a feast in Jerusalem. So literally, they would sing them together with groups and groups of people. And Psalm 127, before you read it today, has already been sung over and over and over and over. So it had tunes, a tune to it, and music was brought to it. And it was sung by worshipers of, of Yahweh. It's most likely, we believe, and it's attested by the history that was written by Solomon, the same author of Ecclesiastes. And if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, he says over and over, vanity upon vanity. It has a similar genre and language. And it's obvious that, that Solomon wrote this because he says, unless the Lord builds in vain, in vain, in vain, he says three times, you'll see vanity after vanity mentioned in Ecclesiastes. It's a psalm about home, life, and family. It's a good one for you and I to remember, and you can see why they sang it. The irony in all of this is Solomon, the author, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Yet scripture only records the name of three of his children. Just one son is mentioned. This is a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He only has one son mentioned, and his name is Rehoboam, and, and he literally divided Israel. And his two daughters, barely in kings, mentioned Tapeth and Basemeth. You would think that a man that had this many wives would have multiple children that chased after God, yet nothing is written in Scripture in regards to his children. A lot is written about his accomplishments, but few things are written about his family. I believe Solomon learned the hard way, and I believe that his wisdom gives us insight for us today how to build a house that God honors, how to parent children the way God longs, how to build a marriage and family that will last forever. Solomon is a man, he's a husband, he's the son of David, he's a king, Scripture says he had great wisdom. 
He owned everything that a man could own. And he boils down what it means to be a parent and have a healthy family and how to build a house into five verses. Look at verse one and two again and look at the word use he said. He chooses carefully inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord, the second time, the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Second time, third time, in vain you rise up early and stay up late toiling for food to eat for he grants sleep to those he loves. The word vain is defined simply as produces zero results. So he says, in vain, unless God builds, it's futile. In vain, they rise and get up early. Futile to do so unless God is part of it. Futile to do so unless God is protecting your home. In other words, he was saying anything done without God at the center or the foundation is utterly useless. Any work done independently of God is futile. Any work done building your home and your family, any work done trying to protect your family, your investments, your property, any work done in your vocational pursuits and accomplishments are literally useless, vanity, empty, unless it's built upon the foundations and principles of God's word. When you remove this foundation, everything crumbles. Are we not living in a world that is crumbling because they refuse to believe that there's only one God and one way through him who's Jesus? That's what's happening to our world. We need to bring God back at the foundation. It's not new. It was written many, many, many years ago. And Solomon says, build your home on the right foundation, relying on your own plans and principles to provide and protect will cause you to fall flat on your face. There's a lot of wisdom packed into this passage. Solomon is saying, when your job becomes your life, when you keep taking overtime because you're anxious and fearful of how you pay your bills, if you're uncertain and fretting and worrying is getting in the way of your job and causing you to fret and worry and work overtime and overtime and overtime. And when you're pushing out what's most important to try to make it on your own path and your own earnings, it will crumble. God and family must be based, or family must be based on God. Let me just say this. Your life will be empty and you will never find the satisfaction you are searching for if God is not the foundation upon which you build it. Solomon gives us these beautiful pictures in this passage that God will reward you even while you sleep. I mean, look at verse 20 or verse, verse two at the end. He says, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Let me just ask the question, is not a good night's rest one of God's greatest gift on earth? Amen? Yeah. How often, after a great night's rest, when you finally hit the sack and you put your head on the pillow, and mine's always a firm pillow, like a firm pillow, and I even have to put, for me, I have to put a weighted blanket on my legs because all night long they're like this. Imagine that. <laughs> it's only on my side of the bed, too. <laughs> but a good night's rest. When you wake up, you feel ready for the day. And Solomon says this. 
if all night long you're thinking about how am I going to do this and what do I need to do that and do I have enough for retirement and will my business make it and will the children turn to God and if all night long you're relying on your own strength, then you won't sleep well. And it says, he grants sleep to those he loves. Even when all that is uncertain in your mind, if we trust in him, we sleep well at night. That is an incredible gift from our God. When your house and your home and your marriage and your children are given over to God, we can sleep when all chaos is all around. God grants sleep to those he loves. When God is building the house and protecting your home and providing for your necessary supplies, we can sleep in peace. Now the psalm takes a shift into parenting. I mean, look how the shift begins quickly. He says this in verse 3. Children are a gift, one translation, a heritage from the Lord. Offspring or children, a reward from him. And then he says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. He makes a shift from the home to the family. Do you know what the definition of parenting is? Here's the definition of parenting is to bring forth, to pull out, and form the best version of your child God intended them to be. That's the picture. Like parenting is, is to take this child that God has given you to bring forth from them what God has, listen to me, has already placed in them talents, abilities, intellect, and skill, and to pull it out of them, and as you pull it out to form them to what God has already placed in them. Hear me out. Not what you want to place in them, but what God has placed in them. I think a good prayer for a parent would be this, Lord, even though I desire this for them, and even though I'd like them to become that, I want what you want them to be. Help me help them to become that. I tell you what, if you get that down, you will sleep well at night. It's an interesting thought that that's our responsibility, to help them to bring forth and to pull out the best version of what God intends them to be. I was reading this week about primary roles of parenting, and I continue to read and I continue to learn because I will always be a parent as long as I live, as, because God has given us Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah. And I was looking at some, some thoughts this week, and, and, and I came across these thoughts on the roles of parents for dads and moms. And they were so well said, that I just want to read them to you. Just listen to these truths of how God has designed what parents are to be, mom and dad. This author says, dads, for instance, love their children more dangerously. I would attest to that. Just ask my wife about the Grand Canyon visit many years ago when I wanted to take our kids out as far as we go so that we could get a picture. The good news is this. My wife agreed to that. She did. 
and I appreciated that. But dads, for instance, love their children more dangerously. That's because they play rougher and are more likely to encourage risk-taking. They provide kids with a broader diversity of social experiences because of that. They also introduce them to a wider variety of methods of dealing with life. They tend to stress rules, justice, fairness, and duty and discipline. So true in our case. In this way, the author says, they teach children the objectivity and consequences of right and wrong. They give kids insight into the world of men. They prepare them for the challenges of life and demonstrate by examples the meaning of respect between the sexes. Research indicates that a married father is substantially less likely to abuse his wife or children than men in any other category. Fathers encourage competition. Imagine that. Engendering independence. Mothers promote equity, creating a sense of security. So true. Dads emphasize conceptual communication, which helps kids expand their vocabulary and intellectual capacities. Moms major in sympathy, care, and help, thus demonstrating the importance of relationships. Dads tend to see their child in relation to the rest of the world Moms tend to see the rest of the world in relationships to their children. Neither style of parenting is adequate and in of itself. Taken together, they balance each other out, the author says, and equip the up-and-coming generation with a healthy, well-rounded approach to life. Let me pause and say this to single parents today that might hear that and say, what about my kids? Let me just say this. Thank you for coming today. And thank you for bringing your children to church. Thank you for seeing that as an obvious value for your children. Our children's ministries are filled with men and women who love God and love Jesus and with all of their hearts. And when you are able to come here and worship, There are men and women up there that love God that a male can come alongside and and speak into your daughter and and your son's life. Maybe dad's absent or maybe mom's absent. So the beauty is this, that, that the family of God here, yes, helps your children. So good job of showing up. And for those of you single moms who've got kids around today in the snow, brought them here and you're here today, you deserve applause for that. Praise God for that. In addition to that, hear me out. Our God, your God, is the father to the fatherless. And he can do for your kids what no one else can do for them. And he loves them far more than you love them. And he is working out their lives for good because he loves them. Some preliminary thoughts in regards to parenting before we move on with some helps. Let me just say this. Success is about faithfulness and not results as a parent. You and I have no ultimate power to transform your kids' hearts or power from what they should be and want to be. We can pour in, we can encourage, we can set structure, but ultimately, God is the one that changes 
their hearts. Remember, you want to see your kids love Jesus more than they love you. Let me just say some other preliminary thoughts. The welfare of your children does not rest on your shoulders alone, but on the shoulders of a God who sent them to you. Another preliminary thought. God will never shut his ears to the cries for help in raising your children when you pray. Your greatest weapon is prayer. I can tell you, I can attest to that. My mom tells me stories of her grandmother, which would be my great-grandmother. She would sit in a rocking chair. My mom would tell stories of her grandmother. She would go there, and my great-grandmother that I never met, Grandma Orphy, would pray for the future great-grandchildren. And mom would say, I would go there, and she said, I didn't fully understand, but Grandma Orphy, she would rock, and she would say, I pray for Beverly's kids and the future kids of Beverly's kids. She was praying for children and children and children to come, and I am a product, and I have benefited from the prayers of those moms and dads before me. Praise God for that. Every time you pray, I want you to think about this. Visually, I'm a visual learner. But when I pray, I always think about this. God backs up his resources of this truckload of help just waiting. And when I pray and you pray, I, I, I visualize this noise. Beep, 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 beep. And he dumps his supplies into my ch children, our children's lives. Another preliminary thought. God's not finished with your children. You may never see the end result of him working it out for good in your lifetime. But hear me out. God promises to work it out for good. Another preliminary thought. God never calls you to a task without giving you what you need to do it. And he never sends you without going with you. So how can we sum up what a parent is? It comes down to two things. And my hope is today that you become the one and not the other. And if you have areas where you're trying to be the other, that you'll shift to this one. Parenting is an ambassador role from beginning to end. This was in, and when we tried to raise our children, this is the role that we tried our best to represent. There is a daily battle between ownership and ambassador. Parenting. You and I, and every human being that's ever lived, are constantly torn between what we want and what God wants for our children. So you're either an ambassador as a parent or you're an owner. It's God has brought me here to care for his children and I'm going to do what he wants or I own these children, they're mine, and I'm going to do what I want. There's only one way to biblically care for your children, and it's in an ambassador way. I want you to think about these truths for a second today. An owner is what parents want for and from their children. An ambassador, not what we want for our children, but what God has planned to do through us in our children. Children are God's possession. The sooner that you and I learn that, by the way, grandparents, this is for you too. They're not yours. And don't be an owner in their relationship. Don't try to make them what you want them to be. Help to form them what God has already made them to be. 
And so we serve as ambassadors and not owners. But yet how many of us are trying to own our children and forcing them to become maybe something that we always wish we were? How many times have you done that? How many times have you said this? Well, when I did this when I was in 10th grade and 9th grade, I quit the sports teams. I'm going to make sure my kids don't quit too. You know what that's saying? I'm trying to make them do what I didn't do, and I'm trying to make them be better than I was. I want them to be more what I should have been. Listen to me. God wants them to be what he wants them to be and not what you think they should be. An ambassador role sees God differently in the relationship. Children are God's possession. But sin makes us more natural owners than ambassadors. Paul Tripp has a lot to say in regards to this in in one of his writings. and, And he has four areas to think through owner and ambassador when it comes to your children. I hope you're taking notes today. Grandparents, you should be taking notes too. I took notes. I'm going to try to be the best grandparent I can be because you won't remember all this. But Paul Tripp gives four areas that we have a choice of either being an owner or an ambassador. The area of identity for your child and your own personal identity. Identity is where you look to find your sense of who you are. Okay, here's what happens. Mom and dad have this child. Their identity is at stake is what they think. And so an owner looks at their child and vicariously lives through them. You end up taking your children's failures personally. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Like your kid didn't get the spot on the team Your kid flunked out with that. Your kid acted like a kid in front of those parents. And you're like, oh, gosh, what are they going to think about me and my parenting now? How many of you have ever been there? Come on, be very honest. Oh, you're lying. Get your hands up. (laughs) That's called ownership parenting. Ownership, that's trying to vicariously say, I'm good. Look at me. Look at my kids. Your kids become your trophies. And when they fail, you think you failed. Think about that in your identity. Your identity takes a hit. Listen to me. Your identity is not in your children's accomplishments. It's in Jesus Christ. Ambassador sees identity different in their children. They see as meaning and purpose. You don't get it from your children, you get it from Jesus. But your role is a parent, but your identity is in Jesus. You have meaning and purpose as their parent to pull out of them and to shape them and to form them into what. But if they screw up, listen to me, listen to me. That should not be a chink out of your identity. Because it's in Christ. A second area that plays into this whole ambassador and ownership parenting. By the way, grandparents, hear me out. Same for you. You could do the same thing. Look at my grandparent. Look at what they've done. Whoa. No, don't look at what they've done. And all of a sudden, you feel bad as a grandparent. Your identity isn't in Bubby. Listen to me. It's in Christ. Another area is work. 
what you define as the work you have been called to do. An owner, you turn your children into something. And ambassadors, don't turn them into something, but got vision for what grace could cause their children to be. So, I'm going to make my kid be this. And hear me, you're going to keep doing it until I tell you you can't do it anymore. No. A parent says, wow. Going up to the kid and say, do you really enjoy doing this? And to hear them say, you know, I really don't. And I hate volleyball. I hate music. And just because you like music and played that instrument, I hate it. I hate doing this. I don't enjoy it. Listen to me. Let them be who God intended them to be. And ambassadors, don't turn them into something that you want, but something that God has already formed in them. You might be surprised if you had a conversation with your kids today and say, hey, you're doing this. Do do you really enjoy this? Is this something that you see yourself doing or are you doing it for me? You might be surprised what they might say. Third area is success. Ownership and ambassador parenting. Success is what you define success to be. An owner, parents have a list for their kids to accomplish that will determine if they're successful parents. Athletically, musically, socially, just just list it. Like, my parent is child of the week. Give me the bumper sticker. And you're not proud of that kid. You're proud of you. That's called ownership parenting. The success or failure of your child doesn't define you and your success or failure. The fourth area Reputation, here's a big one. Oh my goodness, oh goodness gracious. Reputation is what it tells people about who you are and what you're about. An owner turned their children into trophies and tend to be angry and disappointed with their children when they fall short of what they want them to be. And so look, I I, I never got in the game. Or I got to be in that class. Or my child failed miserably. And if you're trying to turn him into a trophy as an owner, you're angry. I told you. But an ambassador reputation, not their trophies, but trophies of God, just be grateful to be a parent and that you have this child as a reward and gift from him. That, listen to me, that should be enough. Do you see the difference in ownership and ambassador parenting? I love these verses in verse 3 and 4 because because Solomon then gives these three visual images, and I love the imageries that he uses here. In the images, he says children are heritage, and, and I like the translation gift from the Lord offspring are a reward from him, an arrow. So he has heritage or gift and, re- and, and, and reward and arrow. The, the Hebrew word for heritage or gift is a word of property or possession. 
It's when God has shared something with us. Our children belong to God. I find great comfort in that truth, by the way. You should too. Because as much as we love them, God loves them more. Our children and your children are a personal gift from God. Have you ever thought about it that way? Now hear me out. And God only gives perfect gifts. Tell yourself that when they're two years old. God only gives perfect gifts. God only gives. Sing it, sing it. It's a song. God only gives perfect gifts. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's nothing more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. It's a privilege. God is sharing his children with you. Just stop and think about that. Like, just, just, just give yourself a second to think about it. God is sharing his children with you and me. And in doing so, he believes that we can bring forth pull out and form them into the version that he intended them to be. Wow. That's quite a transaction, isn't it? Beautiful picture. Secondly, it says their reward. This conveys the idea of pleasure. Something given as a tangible gift of appreciation from God. Can I speak from experience? We made thousands of mistakes and still are making mistakes as parents. We are far, 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 far from being perfect. But I will say this. We tried to understand this as our children as a gift from God. And let me just say, maybe this will speak to you today. We never whined about our kids. You never saw me or my wife get on the internet and say, Man, these kids are driving me nuts. They're killing me. They're... No, 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 no. Why? Because God gave them as a gift and a perfect We never whined and complained to our kids about their kid, our kids in front of them either. You see, there is power in your words. And when you speak to them, those words take seed. Listen to me, grandparents. Same for you. Those words take root in their little hearts and what you speak sprouts and digs in and comes out of them. Our kids rarely, rarely, rarely heard negative talk about them. Why? Because we saw them as a gift, a possession from God. They're God's. And if God took time to form them, and God took time to create them, and God took time to determine which family they would be placed in or adopted into and, and fostered into, if God knew all that and those children ended up with me, what in the world do we have to complain about? Come on, come on, amen? Listen to me. There's times we need to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. And if God gave them to us, listen, he's going to give you everything you need to raise them. God gives us children 
with a delegated responsibility to care for what he treasures most in the whole universe, people. Not only a gift, but a precious gift. Reward says, here, here's what it says, listen, listen, here's what it says. God says, Jim Brown and Ann Brown, I appreciate you. And in my gift of appreciation, Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah. And the other gift, I'm going to let you help in that process to raise them and form them into what I intended them to be. Oh, come on. That is an incredible gift, isn't it? Then he says, children are an arrow. And I love this picture that Solomon gives. He fully understood what an arrow was. And this term is equally meaningful. A warrior doesn't stop to make his arrows in the middle of the battle. He's already made them. He already has them. They're already straight. He's already practiced. He's already shot. He's already become a good archer. He's already prepared for the battle. And so he doesn't stop to make them. He directs them towards a target. And children are an arrow. Think about this. Parents are responsible for the direction of their children. A child like an arrow is incapable of directing himself. Children need direction markers in their lives. So our lives... Psalm 20, or Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn. And so our responsibility is to become directional markers for our kids so they know which way to go. We release them so that they follow God. You see, but the truth is this. Here's how it often goes train up a child in the way they should go, but be sure that you go that way yourself. How many of us say one thing, do another, and expect the kids to do what we say instead of what we do? I, I, I'm going to make it very practical, okay? I, I try to be very practical. You want your kids to go to church and fall in love with Jesus? Listen to me. Then you go to church and fall in love with Jesus. Hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. You, you want your kids to grow in, in, their, in their middle school years, in their high school years? Listen to me. Encourage them to join Axis Youth Group. Li, li, but listen to me. Don't come and drop them off and leave and say, I got a date night tonight. No, you stay, you serve, you join prayer encounter. Listen to me, why? Because your children will do more about what you do and what, what you're saying is church when you become adult, you don't need it, but you need it now. I see it happen all the time. I, I, I watch it happen all the time. I watch children that go through youth group. All of a sudden, they start bailing out. And the reason is because mom and dad have bailed out. Those of you who have children that are kids that are four through five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, Wednesday night, we have great children's ministries. How many of you come and drop your kids off? so that you can go out. Listen, little Bobby watches that. You see, you are directing them away from God when you want them to go to God. Train up a child in the way you go so that they go too. How many of you do that? 
Church, is it a value? Yeah, I, I, I go to church. Yeah, we go once a month, and we didn't go at all the last 18 months. Let me tell you something. You have already set the directional marker for that arrow by the choices that you made. The goal also is not to keep your children. The goal is to release the arrow. The goal is to release them for the mission that God has formed in them to be and the mission is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who follow Jesus. And so we're supposed to release them from the quiver. An arrow is meant to be released. Too many parents are playing defense instead of offense with their children. We keep trying to stop them from doing things instead of sending them to score points and run the score up on the enemy. An arrow is not meant to stay in the quiver. I'll give you a honey illustration. I'll keep it black and white. You go, honey, you see a deer. You have a bow and an arrow. And I got four in my quiver and one's in the bow. There's a deer. Wow, boy, that's a good deer. I, I could eat him. I'll keep it there. I could eat him. Boy, I wish I had that deer. I don't let the arrow remain in my bow. What do I do? I release it. And you know what happens? The arrow hits the deer. The deer dies. I eat backstrops. It's a good day in the brown house. <laughs> it's meant to be released. But so many of you, oh, I got to protect them from that. I got to keep them. Allow your kids to live dangerously so that they can take the gospel to the nations. I realize that in a circle of this that I'm speaking to some hurting parents and maybe your children have walked away from God and, and, and I'm sorry. And you know what? I, I, I prayed for them this week. But the truth is this. Some of you need to release the false guilt that continues to consume you for parenting mistakes that you've made. And if you've asked God for forgiveness, listen to me, he's forgiven you. Move on. Don't let false guilt trip you up. Any remaining guilt you feel is not from God, it's from the accuser. Don't let him cripple you with false guilt. Move on in Jesus' name, amen? amen. So what's a good foundational principle? To be quite honest, this was Ann and I's parenting model or process and we didn't make it up, it's just biblical. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter Six, and look at verses four to nine. This was our way of doing parenting God's way. We didn't have some formula. We didn't read some book. We just read the Bible. In Genesis, Exodus, Vitigus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, chapter six, I think gives us the best way to raise children. And if you want to know a model, you don't need to buy a book. Just read the book. And here it is, Deuteronomy chapter six. This is the best Advice I can give you in the way to parent your children. 
Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Wow. And with all your soul, with all your strength. There it is. Parents, do that. Then these commands I give to you today are to be on your hearts. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And then he says, these commands I give to you, Jim Brown as a parent, and Ann Brown as a parent, and those of you are parents. Impress them on your what? What's it say? Children. It says impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at where? Home. And when you walk along the what? Road. And when you lie down and when you get up. So there it is. Impress what? You take God and connect to life when they're sleeping and ready to go to bed, when they walk along and you're in the car taking them to practice, when they sit down at the dinner table, you're connecting God to life. You're impressing on their hearts to love God with all your, all your heart, soul, and mind. And it's not rocket science. And then he says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So what do you do? You Teach them as you go along. So, your child's going through something very difficult. You sit with them and say, yeah, that is hard. And you, and you bring God into the equation. And you, you say, I wonder what God could do here. And so you bring God into that conversation. And maybe you spend time praying. And then God answers the prayer. And three or four days later, you bring them back to that moment. And you say, hey, remember when we prayed? Do you remember what God did? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't get bullied anymore in school. Well, he answered that prayer. Do you see the connection there? Like, you impress that on their minds and hearts, and you move on to the next thing. And it's simple. Like, we did it simple with parking places. We couldn't find a parking place in, in, in Fort Myers Beach, and, and cars were all lined up. I said, all right, just pray. And so we prayed, Lord, give us a spot. And there were 27 cars in line. And as soon as we, everyone was just driving through, and we drove through in a car pack that went out, and I said, you see what God did? Boom. I am serious. Connect God to life. Stamp it. It means to press. Leave a mark on Talk. Conversations. When you're with them, talk about God. When you sit with them together at supper and mealtimes and fire pits, and, and when you're walking, playing golf with them or, or having conversation with them, as you go along the way, just connect God to life, God to life, God to life. When you, when you have bedtime when, and you have prayers and you just, hey, how was your day? And yeah, that was difficult. And yeah, hey, yeah, did you see what God did there? It's just this conversation. All day long, Ann and I would talk to our kids. God, life, God, life, God, life. Impress, 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 impress. Pulling out of them what God intended. That's what parenting can do. Listen to me. You don't need to read another book. There's your answer. He wraps this up with an incredible truth in Psalm 127. We benefit as parents. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. What does he mean by that? See, back in this day when you had a judicial problem, you would go to the city courts and your family would come and and so you would hash it out right at the city court. <laughs> and it says, you don't go alone. Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah stand with you too. 
that's not the dad that I, you think he is. My dad is a man of integrity. My mom is a woman of integrity. My mom would never do. You, you want to know what we know? This is what we know. And they bravely and courageously stand for you at the gate and defend the cause of Christ with you. That is a gift from God. That's the picture. That's what happens with your children when you raise them. They stand with you and defend God's cause with you. There's no greater gift that our kids have given us than the way they love Jesus. There's not a trophy on our kids' walls that's more meaningful than the fact that they love Jesus. And that's what Solomon is saying. He wraps it up in fact, fact, Psalm chapter 128, you could read 127 and 128 together because 128 kind of goes into the grandfather and grandmother and and he says in verse four, he says, yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. And verse five says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of the world. And he says this in verse six, Solomon says, look what he said, may you live to see your children's children peace be on Israel. You will always be a parent. It's a new season of life for us, and some of you are there with us. We're learning what it means to be a parent now with adult children. And we're trying our hardest to still, hear me, hear me, bring out of them, help shape them to be the adults that God intended them to be. But my role has changed. Now our role, we become more of an advisor. They don't have to do what we tell them to do. <laughs> and we don't push to give insight. We, we, we stand back and wait for them to come to us. Some grandparents, you're, you're in there, you're trying to drive it home. You're still trying to make something that God says you're not the owner of. What else can you do in this new role, new season? Continue to love your spouse so they can see a model of love that they can. Listen to me continue to shoot for. You're still trying to help them to be that directional marker for them. You can extend yourself some grace for the mistakes you've made too. Don't be the crutch that rescues them. Hear me out, hear me out. You might be in a financial better place. Ask for wisdom before just saying yes, 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 yes. Cut the strings. You're not mom and dad like you used to be. They're adults. You're the advisor. Amp up your dependence on God through prayer and ask God to take care of them. Don't take sides. Hear me out with your kids. Mom, 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 listen to me. Don't you be that person that your daughter's calling and talking about her husband. Hear me? You talk about it, but you make sure he's there too. Don't place unreasonable expectation on them at the holidays. Hear me out, mom and dad. First argument that a young couple has that I'm marriage counseling, I always say this. I look at him, I say, I say to the, the dude, I say, listen to me. You need to be the mean guy. He looks at me, what? I say, especially at the holiday. What? what? I say, you need to tell your mom and your mother-in-law that you're not wearing their stupid socks on Christmas Eve anymore. You need to make your own Christmas traditions 
And if it works out to show up at a different time, listen to me, be the mean guy. You now lead your family. Don't make them into what they want you to be. You be what God intended you to be. Listen to me, grandparents, parents, stop it. I don't care if you don't like me. Be their greatest cheerleader. Say, I'm proud of you as much as you can. Tell them you love them as much as you can. Plan your funeral and make sure you have a will for your spouse and your kids. It's an incredible gift that you can give them. Can I ask the question, are you preparing them to succeed in this world or the world to come? God, what a gift it is and what a reward it is and that the God of the universe would share his most valuable possession, a human being, with people. And for some reason, God, I, I don't understand how it all works, but I know that you did that for Ann and I. Man, what a reward. What a gift. Help me and help us to be ambassadors as we parent and not owners. And help us to shape our children and to pull out and to form and to bring forth all that you've placed in them so that they can become what you intend them to be. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't leave us alone in this task, but you're a good God. And I pray for your blessing to fall over our children and their children and their children and their children. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Take a moment and listen to these words and soak this in. Be upon and a thousand generations of your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. He is for you. Would you stand? And I'd love to send you out with a blessing. And I'll receive this blessing to me because I'm there with you. I, I, I don't have it all figured out. I'm a sinful man, and, but I got a perfect God that's with me. And my desire, like your desire, is to be a good grandfather and be a good father. But I need God. Don't we need God? Any family that's built on the foundation of his word and his truth, hear me out, is a solid foundation. My hope is that your lives are directional markers 
And maybe you've fallen short over the last year or two years. Maybe today the Spirit of God is affirming or convicting you to get back on path yourself. Because your children and their children and their children are impacted by the way you and I live our lives. And if we're not pointing them to Jesus, then how can we ever expect them to follow Jesus when they leave the home? It's a hard task that God's given us, but it's a worthwhile one. But we're not in it alone. Can you imagine what could happen to this generation and the next generation, the generation after that? If we decided as parents to live all in for Jesus, can you imagine what could happen in our schools and our communities? If we as grandparents decided to help shape and form and pull out what God wants instead of what we want? It's a beautiful picture, but man, it all begins by us clinging to Jesus. You know, today we saw parents dedicate their children and it's beautiful. It's in fact, I love going up and praying with parents. I love that childhood age babies and I've loved every season of being a dad. It's it's been a privilege. Like this new season, I don't have a clue what I'm gonna do, but God promised to go with Ann and I. But even now, I want our children and their children to chase after Jesus. Can I send you off with the blessing that I wrote this week? Would you just kind of receive it by turning your palms and I'll pray it over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and let his face shine upon you. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you and around you and within you. May he help you to step out in faith and become the directional marker for your children. May he give you fresh awakening and embolden your faith in the week ahead. May he smile on you and be gracious to you and restore brokenness in your marriage and family. May he answer that prayer request that's close to your heart today regarding your children. May he help you develop a love for the lost and lead someone to Jesus this week. May he fill you with hope and fulfill your goals and dreams. And may he bring your wayward children home to Jesus. May he hold your hand and carry you when you fall down and pick you back up. May he fill you with wisdom and strength and power and love to face the days ahead. And may he take every anxious thought and replace it with peace. And may your children and their children and their children always follow Jesus. May God himself, the God of power, sanctify you through and through. May God do a miraculous work in your life so that your children will see that God is real. May he equip you with everything good to do his will, and and may he work in you what is pleasing to him. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you walk in freedom and salvation because of his work on the cross. To him be the glory, honor, power, and praise forever and ever. Amen.
God bless you. See you next week.